what's good what's going on welcome back to another episode of the hogshaven podcast powered by sp nation you can find us at hogshaven.com at hogshaven on twitter and on facebook i am your host molly mall jamal force you can find me on twitter at let more tell it not forget the you uh i got the good man kyle smith the gm checking in today and uh you know, Kyle, for, for everything that's been going on this week and, and that's been going on for nearly a week now, uh, it's, it's very hard to just focus on football, but we're going to try our best today. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, how are you doing? But obviously, uh, if you want to, you know, just walk us through like your your weekend and, and what you've experienced in Commander Land <laughs> um, with with whatever it is that you want to talk about. I mean, whatever it is that was that's been your focus, I guess. Um, yeah, the, the floor is yours. But but how you doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Yeah, that that game last Thursday was uh, you know not much to watch. It was I guess it was good to pull out a win, but of course, you know we find out. Carson's out for several weeks, which, you know, it's unfortunate for it to happen that way, but I was ready to see a change of uh, a change of leadership there at quarterback. So I'll be interested to see how Heineke plays this weekend. And I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to seeing um, him behind center there. So we'll see how that goes. Of course, all the, the ownership talk, all, you know, Jim Irsay, um laying down the, the law there and, and also the other discussions about, um, you know, revelations about what's going on with Dan Snyder seem to have sort of taken over a lot of the conversation. Um, and I think a lot of us recognize that that's, you know, the, that has a lot more uh, weight in terms of the future of this franchise than uh, the game against the Packers this week. But but let's focus on the game against the Packers. I think there's some interesting things to talk about there. And if we've got the opportunity to talk a little bit about the ownership situation later on, uh, I'd welcome that as well. Well, I mean, look, we can start off with the, the hot topic item. Um, you know, we can we can go ahead and, and get that out the way now. Uh, for those who are listening, obviously, well, first of all, let me get the administrative item out of the way. You know, um, if you are new or if you have not done so yet, make sure you hit that uh, subscribe button to the podcast. It is truly appreciated. Uh, make sure you hit that uh, rating. You know, we appreciate that as well. You know, if you if you feel like we're a little less than four stars, go ahead. Just give us a four star off the strength. You know, four stars or above. We truly appreciate it. <laughs> um, but make sure you hit that that subscribe and give us a rating and a review if you got some time. So I appreciate that. And um, like I said, for those who do listen to the podcast, you know, we do a lot of football on here, like primarily football. So like the ownership thing has always been a a side nugget here. Like it's is 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 out of our control and and. Uh, at the same time, like I, I am very aware that it exists. I am very aware of the issues that exist. We all aware it's hard to avoid. And obviously ESPN encapsulated a very good and this is um time has passed now, but ESPN encapsulated a, a well written and well um detailed article about, you know, the Dan Snyder transgressions from uh essentially start to finish or start to current uh to uh, of his ownership tenure and obviously uh things have uh, become a, a focal point in recent days and recent hours, really, because of yesterday's uh, appearance at the owners meeting where owners were being interviewed by reporters who were present at the time. And obviously, um, Jim Mersey got the ball rolling when he was asked some questions about Dan Schneider, ultimately uh, 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 stating that, um, and I don't have the quotes in front of me, but he ultimately stated that, you know, that there's some, some, 
uh, reasoning or there's some validity or, or ability to, to really remove uh, Dan Schneider from ownership and, and that the owners do have the power to do so. Uh, also, you know, he's not necessarily worried about <laughs> um, the quote unquote smoking guns that Dan Snyder has for any of the owners, specifically himself, uh, if if he was to speak out against Dan Snyder and try to vote him out. So um, that kind of got the ball rolling and it really started a, a, a tweet storm from everybody within the commanders fan base, but also got the national media talking about it as well and having a focus on uh, Dan Snyder and, and things like that. So. Kyle, if you want to, you know, kick the ball off with, you know, what you're thinking about this this situation, uh, the, the floor is yours. Well, I think the main thing is I can't remember the last time an NFL owner ever came out um, in favor of unseating another NFL owner. I mean, in any pro sport, frankly, at least American pro sport, I can't remember that happening. So that seems like a big deal. Uh, and I think, you know, the ESPN report, which was like a 10,000 word article, uh, you know, had a lot of information and some of it sort of rehashing older information, but apparently very well sourced, reliably sourced. I mean, you, you have to know that um, if they weren't fully behind everything that they were writing there, the, the opportunity for Dan uh, and his folks to sue them uh, was certainly on the horizon. So I, I have every reason to believe um, that that was well sourced. It just feels a little bit different um, in the last few weeks than it has previously in terms of maybe a critical mass finally uh, accumulating and that may ultimately end up pushing him out of um, this ownership spot. And I think, you know, of course, there's all of the off the field things, um, and that's probably what will get him in the end and, and should get him in the end. But, you know, for all of the fans and a lot of fans, <clears throat> just bluntly, you know, they're they're more concerned about the on the field performance. I mean, that's just been so remarkably miserable for 23 years now. I mean, something like a 400 winning percentage. It's just um, by any measure um, doesn't seem to be a good guy. Doesn't seem to be a good owner medals and all these kinds of things. And so I just think, you know, for, for so many of us, Washington fans, um, we're, 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 we're kind of on our last legs, you know, I mean, I just, I'm not sure how many, how much longer a lot of folks can, can hold on. Um, it's just this, you know, uh, following this franchise, hoping it's going to turn it around is it's like an exercise in masochism almost at this point. And, and, uh, you know, I think this is a gl the first glimmer of hope a lot of us have seen in a long time. And, and I certainly hope it ends up panning out. We'll see what happens, I guess. Well, I mean, so to your point in that, uh, you know, the fan base, you don't know how much essentially they can really take anymore. And I mean, Kyle, like that's been showing its face over the past really like nearly a decade. Um, like it's they've been showing they can't really take anymore. Like I I was on a Bears podcast last Thursday pregame for the show and they were asking about the Dan Snyder stuff and the fan base stuff. Like I don't think I share this too much and I have people in my family, um who are not necessarily family, but they're they're close. But I have people who I know that I'll just use one person in particular. Like they stopped being a fan in twenty eleven. They could not take Dan Snyder. They could not take the what they'd done with the team and they realized because of what they couldn't take with Dan Snyder and all these things, they were only a fan because their their parents brought them into the the, the fandom. Like they brought them into the, the Washington Redskins organization and 
while they were winning and they were doing good for a really long time. Like he had, he's older. He has tenure. Like he's probably, I think in his forties now. So he's been around to see them win Super Bowls. Uh, but like he's done and he hasn't come back since 2011. So yes, for those who are listening, that includes RG three, RG three, as good as his season was in 2012, that didn't even bring him back in. And he was ahead of the curve. <laughs> Kenny, uh, I see, I, I said his name. <laughs> good Lord. Kenny, if you listen, man, shout out to you. I respect you. You know what I'm saying? Nobody knows Kenny anyway. <laughs> but Kenny's yeah. a lot smarter than we are, Jamal. <laughs> yeah, Kenny's a lot smarter than we are. But but ultimately, uh, my point, like there's a there's several other people out there like him. There's people that, I, again, other people that I know in different situations who are just done with the team because, uh, one, they lose too much sometimes. So I, I just think that, uh, to your point, like you don't know if they can take any more. There's several other individuals, just like the person that I described, who just can't handle it, and maybe they didn't do it in 2011, but they probably did it in 2020 when the when the name changed. Um, they probably did it after that when they figured out about you know the reason why Dan Snyder and the Washington uh, Commanders are getting investigated at the time, Washington Football Team. Um, so there's so many different reasons and different factors as to why uh, this fan base and why this organization has went downhill. And uh, and, and in recent years, within the last five to six years, it has went downhill at a rapid rate. Like I've never seen a situation like um I want to say who was it the Tennessee game maybe and Kyle maybe you know more than me but I do remember it was either Tennessee or it was Dallas um the Nice the Nielsen ratings uh for the game was at its lowest um and it was another game on at the time that was actually higher than and it was I don't think it was football but it was like another game in the area that was higher than the the Commanders game. And I want to say it was the week of Dallas and Washington, but I'm, I'm not entirely too sure. So it was either Dallas and Washington or, da- or Washington and Tennessee. Uh, and, and the fact that uh, the, the comparison for the other game, like hearing that it, it even it, it toppled the commander's viewership um, is, is a, I mean, like there's no more. It can't get any more obvious than what is going on right now in front of us. And when I when we talk about Dan Schneider and what he's done with the organization and obviously how that transfers back to, you know, Jim Ursay and the other owners as well, uh, we understand that like money is a big deal to owners. Like money is such a big deal that like we can say <laughs> we can say a blanket statement like that and still don't even know like the full details to like the inner workings of, of how to be an owner and how to make that type of money that, that they're making off of these things and 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 that's kind of where um you know dan schneider is really in a rock and a hard place because uh nobody has faith in you locally from from uh political standpoints and from getting deals done nobody has faith in you nobody trusts you um and now you got the owners who are like you got to show me something (laughs) show me something because uh otherwise we can't trust you either but the point is like nobody has or dan has nobody else to blame for why he can't get anything done with this team except for himself and his own doings for the past 20 plus years. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. I mean, it's the reality is if he would have done nothing, the team would almost certainly be better off. You know, if he had just let somebody else handle the day-to-day operations, handle the man, hire the selection of the general manager, you know, the coaches, the team would almost certainly be better off than it's been. I mean, he has been an active uh, detriment to this team, you know, uh, in term from everything from selecting, you know, Vinny Serrato and Bruce Allen and, and, uh, hand picking quarterbacks and, and foisting them on coaches who didn't want them. I mean, it's just, you know, legendary in terms of the amount of screw ups that, that have been, um, 
brought forth at his hand. And, and like you say, he's basically drummed almost all of the uh, goodwill out of the fan base, which is hard to believe because, I mean, Jamal, you look younger than I am, I think. I'm, I'm, a, little, my, I'm a little young. I'm, 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 my, I'm, I'm on the younger side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so I'm in my later 40s. So I can, you know, I, I, I remember the, the good old days pretty well. And that's probably what keeps me coming back and the, the memories of watching the team with my dad and stuff like that. Uh, but, but, you know, it's just, it's hard to believe when I, when I hear that there's younger fans, I'm like, well, why would you ever become a fan of this team? You know, I mean, it's like you, there, there have not really been any good old days. There's been nothing almost but dysfunction and, um, you know, just abusive losses for decades with a couple of little bright spots in between. And it's, 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 it's hard to imagine because there really was a time when the waiting list for, game you know tickets to the game was a decade long and that wasn't just something that was made up by the owner to try to um you know uh, use it as a marketing tool it was a real thing and it was really hard to get tickets to the game and uh you know everybody uh regardless of uh you know race ethnicity economic background in the dc area came together around this team i mean i'm a capitals fan too and it's you know people love the capitals and the capitals are a great franchise but but the you know redskins heyday dwarfs even the more recent Capitals' success by you know like 10 20 50 times i mean it was just you couldn't go anywhere without there being a focus on that um that success and pride in the franchise and, and that bringing people together. And right now, I mean, the only thing that it brings together people around is a, a unified hatred of Dan Snyder. You know, I mean, it's, that's, that's exhausting, you know? Um, and I think a lot of folks, like you mentioned about your friend have, have walked away rightfully so for their own mental health and, uh, and the rest of us who remain really, we just want to be, um, you know, let go from this, the shackles to, to Dan Snyder and, and be able to enjoy our Sundays again. And, you know, I don't think we need a Super Bowl winner here anytime soon. We just want a team that's, that's fun to watch. That's well run. That's, um, that's something that we can be proud of as opposed to always being something that we, you know, have to, uh, hide, uh, you know, behind closed doors and just be ashamed of whether it be the, the off the field stuff or the on the field performance, there's nothing really to be, uh, proud of with this team. And that's a tough situation to be in as a fan. I mean, um, you, you know it well. Yeah. Um, and for what it's worth, Dan Snyder sent a, a letter out a couple of days ago to defend himself against the ESPN article. Um, and I, I have one comment that I want to, there are several things wrong with the, the article. Uh, the, the main thing is that like, I'll put it this way. You know, he said that he didn't have, or essentially didn't have an opportunity to, um, you know, correct the many falsehoods uh, in ESPN's article before its publication. Uh, Kyle, I'll give you some insight on my day job, um, and as well as you know, I'm pretty sure everybody else will understand things too. Um, I'm an auditor uh, for the federal government, and before we put out any reports, it's the same way any other big business will work. This is the federal government of the United States. Anytime you are doing your audit work. And you have to verify things, um, whether it's like numbers or statements or uh, 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 criteria from the United States Code and anything. It's all vetted, like it's vetted through your team. It's vetted through your your manager, your manager's manager. 
your manager's manager's manager and the legal team because you don't want to make sure you are caught liable for anything you don't want to make sure that when you present this to the auditee that you are wrong in your facts you want to make sure that all your i's are dotted and your t's are crossed and then once you are good on your side you present the opportunity to the other side <laughs> and say do you have any comments or responses to this uh before we get ready to put this in, uh to, to the public um so for dan snyder to say that i that's one of the the more obvious things that you can really say all right man like we there's no way that espn did not give you an opportunity to respond to this that's the first thing the second thing is one of his last statements he said while we are all fierce competitors on the field we are part of this organization because we love football our teams and our fans again this is a letter to the owners kyle i have one more story and and <laughs> if you want to follow up you can do that and we can move forward to uh the football side but i have one more story now i'm going to butcher the exact details of the story but you will understand that there are several other people out here like I, there's a lot of people who think about the, the grandma that got that got sued um when people talk about you know his love for the fans well i have another personal story and i thought about putting this on twitter at one point but i thought now nah, let me go ahead and put it on whatever platform that i have and whoever listens to us whoever listens to me will hear from my mouth and not on Twitter, you know, a situation like this. And, and, and what happened was I have a friend, another friend, not not Kenny, <laughs> um, who had season tickets. And he wrote a letter to Dan Schneider at one point, And he was complaining either about the product on the field or about something that was going on in the stands. And he was very uh, demonstrative in his in his letter, but it wasn't disrespectful it was fair criticism dan snyder said we're going to give you better seats gave him new seats and cal when he pulled up to the game his new season tickets his new seats was behind a barricade a cement barricade where he couldn't see the field <laughs> classic i've never i've never even shared that to anybody uh outside of like this is my first time talking about it like I and I've like I've known this person since high school, and I didn't know about the story in high school, but I know I've known about it for some time now. He like Dan Snyder doesn't play like he really is a, a petty person, and for all the stories that people know, there's some stories that people don't know, and this is one of them. Like he will he will def, he is definitely a petty individual, and whatever was in that letter stung him so much that he said, "You know what? I'll go ahead and upgrade your tickets." But guess what? Good luck seeing the game from now on. Like it's it's incredible some of the things that he does, man. Yeah, well, I've got a I've got a story. I shared it on, online uh, earlier in the week. Um, it's it's it sort of verges on on rumor. It's a little bit one degree separated from what you've described. But so my wife, um, you know, she she watches football if I force her to watch football, but she really only knows, you know, about football in terms of things that I'm talking about or whatnot. Um, and maybe I don't know. It was a couple of years ago, actually. She um, she had some friends or acquaintances who were um, who were uh, friends of the Bashadis, the owners of the the Ravens, who who live you know you know in the in the DC metro area, <clears throat> and she was telling the story of of uh, a time where Steve Bashadi and his wife 
Renee had, uh, you know, some of their high powered friends and acquaintances um, come over for a party. This is probably, you know, in the early 2000s, if I had to guess at the time. And, um, you know, uh, Dan Snyder shows up at the party and, and Steve Bashotti's wife uh, says to him, you know, Dan, it's, it's so good to see you. You know, it's really nice to have you here. And Dan Snyder stops dead in his tracks and says, that's Mr. Snyder to you. And at this point, you know, the, the, you know, you can imagine Steve Bashotti's head nearly blowing off the top of his neck or whatever. And, and uh, contemplating throwing Dan out on his ass, um, which didn't happen, but it just, it gives you a sense. I mean, those stories, LeVar Arrington's told similar stories. There's been other stories elsewhere, but the guy's pet, uh, pettiness and insecurity is just legendary. And, and it's, you, those kinds of stories exist all over the place. They're not uncommon. I mean, it's just really, uh, I think, illustrative of what a, um, you know, um, a damaged personality the guy is. And, and he's really, he's taking it out on us. I mean, he doesn't, how could he possibly love the fans? I mean, he's, he's never apologized for what he apologized to us for the, for the uh, wretched product product that he's been putting on the field for the past several decades. Um, and, you know, has not given one ounce of respect. In fact, he's done what you've described with your story about the, you know, the, the seating that's obstructed view and, suing little old ladies for their, their tickets. I mean, it's just, you, you almost, you couldn't make this up if you tried, people wouldn't believe it. It's so, it's so outlandish. Um, and, and of course this is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the stuff that he's, um, guilty of. So, yeah, I mean, we've probably talked enough about it. It's making me sick to my stomach. So I'm ready to move on to football if you are. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and talk quarterback. Um, okay. Kyle, you said you were ready to move on from Taylor Heineken. I mean, excuse me, Carson Wentz, and you were, quite frankly, excited to see what Heineken can kind of bring to this offense. Uh, I'll stop it there, and, and, and just we can kick it off from there. What uh, What is going on? I do remember our last conversation, uh, whether it was on uh, Hogs Haven podcast or on Twitter. I remember that one as well, stemming from Carson Wentz. I, I said I had to see one more game, and and – and lo and behold, he got hurt, so it don't even matter. He he ain't, he ain't playing no more uh, right now any, anyway. So floor is yours. What's 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 the reasoning behind Taylor Heineke uh, for uh, and moving on from Carson Wentz? Well, there were a couple of things. So yeah, I was I think we spoke two weeks ago. So that was after the Eagles game. Yep. And uh, at that point, I was I was done. Uh, so I think there were a couple of things. One is I was very concerned that not in the near term, but in, in the longer term, that Carson was going to get to the point at which that, that third round conditional pick might convert to a second rounder. That's probably realistically around game nine or 10. So we're still a few weeks from there, but I I didn't want to get to that point um, and have it be a decision where we might lose that second rounder, which looks like it's going to be a pretty high pick at this point. But the other piece is, and I don't, it's not that I think that Taylor Heineke is going to turn the ship around. I mean, we're two and four, um, you know, the, the offensive line has not looked great, although I've said repeatedly the offensive line, I think, will look considerably better with Heineke behind there than it did with Wentz. That's not to say that all the problems were on Carson, but I think he was not helping the offensive line out in a lot of ways. But the the other thing, I guess, is the offensive line 
you know, does seem to be tightening up a little bit, which makes sense with Tyler Larson back. And, you know, I think Cornelius Lucas, you know, he, he played well this past game. I know you've done a much deeper uh, film dive than I certainly have in terms of looking at the all 22s and, and that sort of thing. So I, I'm really interested to get your take on how you think the offensive line has performed. But but in any case, I think that um, Heineke, you know, he's more mobile there behind the line. He's got the ability to to get on the move. His deep game is obviously not going to be as good as Carson's. He doesn't have a very strong arm or doesn't have nearly as strong an arm as Carson does. But he tends to be pretty strong with the the um, underneath stuff. And now he's got a lot more weapons than he did last year. You know, I think Jahan Dotson will be back probably, if, if not this week, next week. Uh, you know, Curtis Samuel's there. Uh, Terry has been really underutilized this season. Uh, Brian Robinson seems like he's back in full force. So I think – you know, Taylor will have a much better complement of weapons this year than he did last year. That again, like I said, it's not doesn't mean he's going to take us to the playoffs, but I, I, I'll find him more enjoyable to watch, I think, than than Carson, who was just uh, maddening at times, most of the time, uh, to watch. And if Ty- Taylor can't pull it off for the next four or five weeks, or in the next four or five weeks, then we see Sam Howe and get to see what he's got before we go into the next season where we've got to draft a quarterback high. Um, so I, I'm, I was just ready to be done with Carson more than anything else. Uh, I do enjoy watching Taylor play, even with his shortcomings. Um, and, and I've detailed those, you know, in the past as well, and I'm well aware of them. Uh, but he's a fun guy to watch. He, he uh, you know, you can tell he, he really wants to win. Um, he's got a lot of enthusiasm for the game and, um, I, I have a feeling, you know, this game against the Packers is actually going to be competitive. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Washington wins this game, um, uh, especially given how bad the Packers offensive line looked last week. I mean, they were atrocious. Um, and so I, I, I don't know, I, you know, I, I'm not incredibly hopeful, but, but I am, you know, I'm more interested in seeing Heineke. Uh, back there than I was and seeing any more once. So I'm curious to get to get your thoughts and uh, how you think it's going to play out. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm gonna do the I'm gonna reverse it um, and go from bottom to the top. So I'll start with Sam Howe, and, and I think the more conversations, and I agree with you in the sense of like giving Taylor Heineke that what up to six week stretch, assuming that let's say the maximum injury for Carson, the timetable is six weeks. Uh, that's that's all Taylor Heineke. You got a six week window, but um, if the season is lost at that point, I'm all for Sam Howe. Um, I think one of the as two days have rolled on, um, and this is for everybody that's listening, not necessarily at you, Cal, because you haven't really even like had these conversations. I don't think, but uh, the conversations that I've entertained about starting Sam Howe over Taylor Heineke at this point. Is I have I have realized all of those conversations have been so elementary, um, and it's very it's very frustrating because I knew it in the moment, but like realistically, if your back is against the wall and you're a head coach, for those everybody put yourself in the in the shoes of a head coach, your back is against the wall as a head coach, um, you know that your team is struggling. You're two and four. You got an ugly win on the road against Chicago. You're your starting quarterback who you thought. Uh, based on the analytics and research that you've done, was a really good quarterback for your offense. Um, albeit he wasn't your first choice, he was one of your top three choices or top four choices that you can live with. You realize that he ain't panning out. You realize that he was also a person who was struggling uh, in, in terms of picking up your offense, reading 
uh, the, making the right reads, the right pre-snap reads, understanding those coverages, and knowing where to go with the ball. Like, you're realizing that he's struggling. He's taking a lot of hits as well. The offensive line isn't protecting him. And your offense overall has regressed tremendously since that first game. Um, I need to figure out what I need to do with this team. And am I going to put in a rookie who doesn't have any status in this locker room who doesn't have any reputation for being a gamer who's going to put his heart out on the line who's going to give everything he got for this offense who uh and, and as a and a, a person who's known this offense for x amount of years uh i'm not going to do that to a rookie and i'm not going to put him in a position where we're two and four and we still need to make the playoffs in a big year for me in a year in which i said uh prematurely that this this is a big year and i think we take a step up i need to go with somebody i trust <laughs> so like there should be no conversation about Sam Howe right now, realistically. And also, I've seen him in practice for X amount of weeks, X amount of months. I know where Sam Howell is, and compared to Taylor Heineke, I don't think he's there yet. So there shouldn't be no conversation with Sam Howe. There should have never been no conversation with Sam Howe. Um, and, and I don't care what any other quarterback in this NFL has been doing. It's impossible to compare the situations because they are not always the same. So. Taylor Heineke, I understand exactly everything that you're saying. Um, I, I I think the biggest thing um, outside of the intangibles, right, um, is the fact that he does have a, a better supporting system, support system around him. Uh, he has a J.D. McKissick who wasn't around for bits and parts of his season last year. Uh, obviously, Antonio Gibson been around, but now you have Brian Robinson person who could stabilize that rushing game um even though in that four game win streak they were really doing a good job rushing the football with Antonio Gibson but now you have a good trio in your backfield and then now you have uh Jahan Dodson to pair with Curtis Samuel and, and Terry McLaurin and obviously you didn't even have Curtis Samuel last year in your 17 games obviously he played five games but it was like it was probably less than 20 snaps if I'm not mistaken um all in those five games um so now you're you got your weapons back. They're healthy. Um, now you have a Cole Turner who is an individual who's actually, in my opinion, is better than Logan Thomas. Um, and I think that he's better than Logan Thomas simply off of athleticism. Like, Logan Thomas just doesn't have that right now. He doesn't have the quickness that, that Cole Turner has. He doesn't have the ability. Um, Cole Turner ain't that fast, but he can he can get to the second level pretty quickly. Um, and he's making plays at the catch point in terms of, like, his leaping ability. 6'6 six, six receiver jumping up and, and he's like seven two or seven uh, i ain't gonna exaggerate but he's like seven feet in the air like that's that's how big his catch radius is so like you have so many uh, uh other weapons that you didn't have last year like you're dealing with deami brown and cam sims and everybody knows i love cam sims right but oh i never considered him a number two i considered him a solid four and he was your number two last year and even still he didn't get that burn it was really deandre carter and uh uh um who was the other guy? It was it was another guy that I'm I'm blanking on right now. But either way, oh, right the now, Humphreys, Adam Humphreys. Humphreys, yes, Adam Humphreys. So like there's your there's your your 2021 receiving core. <laughs> you are yeah. tremendously better in 2022. You have better options. Um and and I think the 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 thing is it's going to help uh Terry uh excuse me not Terry but actually yeah because that's where I was going to go. The things is going to help Terry, but as well as Taylor Heineke is knowing that you know he's not a person who's really going to threaten a, a, a defense vertically, like on that third level. He's not going to do that. And, and while he can, he has the ability to take like three or four shots a game, 
he's not a person who's going to push the ball down, look to push the ball down the field. And, and, and that, that means you're, you're going to have to find a way to get the ball into Terry's hands quicker. You have to scheme that up. You have to find a way to, and I think Jahan Dawson is probably going to be the best option for, for, uh, for Taylor Heineke because he's going to be your option, man. He's going to be the one who can work the choice routes. He's going to be the one who can really uh, uh, do three different or have three different options within one within one route call or one play call. And you have to find a way to utilize that. So um, I think that there are several different options from a playmaking standpoint and schematic standpoint that you can really use with a guy like Jahan and, and pairing with, Terry, I mean, with Taylor Heineke. So um, altogether, it's a very interesting ordeal. Granted, those are all the positives. The negatives are defenses know that he can't really challenge you deep, so they're going to sit on everything short. They're going to force him to make plays with his arm. Um, and, you know, can he do it? Who knows? Can Scott Turner scheme around that? Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> um, but, like, there, there, are, there are going to be ways where the defenses know that Taylor Heineke is limited and they're going to challenge him. He's playing a team right now in the Green Bay Packers, his very first game as a starter this year that he played last year. Like, they know him. And it's the same coordinator. It's the same coaching staff. They know him. So it's not going to be too hard for them to game plan for a guy that they are familiar with from last year. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting ordeal. Uh, and, and lastly, Carson Wentz, I'll be quick with him because I kind of touched on it from the coaching standpoint. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been, a, it's been a disaster. <laughs> um, it's been a disaster of a trade. Uh, and, and I don't think people understand that because like the stats would suggest him to, to say otherwise. And obviously the offensive line, the sacks that he's accrued over the six games would tell other people that, you know, it hasn't been a disaster and it's really not his fault. Um, and, and while we're not necessarily looking at a blame game here to point the finger at one person, I think that ultimately, when you see his limitations and you compare it to like his strengths uh, and you do a pro con thing, uh, I don't think his strengths outweigh the negatives that, that comes with a Carson Wentz. Um, and, and who knows, man, like the film just really doesn't lie. It's a mixture of, of Scott Turner. It's a mixture of Carson Wentz really trying to, you know, really get this offense moving. There's several things like that first half Kyle against the, the Chicago bears. Uh, obviously he got hurt later in the game, but, or towards the towards the end of the first half, like the amount of missed opportunities they had in one half was egregious, and like that stemmed from play calling and Carson Wentz. I, I really couldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like this this season. I mean, we'll see what happens for the rest of the season, but I think this season probably <laughs> puts the nail in uh, both Carson's career as a starter and pro po quite possibly. Scott Turner's future, any future career he might have as a coordinator. I mean, he really just has not um, has not redeemed himself well at all. And I, I think there's been a, a number of factors that account for it. But but the play calling has been terrible. The recognition has been terrible. The offensive line has certainly had its uh, ups and downs as well. And so I, you know, I mean, what they've scored something like 11 points on average for the past three games. I mean, that's just, it's pathetic. I, and we know Taylor is not going to be a, a scoring machine, but um, I feel pretty comfortable thinking that he'll score more than 11 points a game on, or be able to lead an offense that can score more than 11 points a game on average. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, the offense has just been uh, overall a complete real letdown uh, this season. And, you know, I, to, to flip the side, I, again, I gave Jack Del Rio a lot of heat. A lot of people did those first 
a couple games. But honestly, the defense, and again, I'd be really interested to get your take on this too. The, to me, the defense has looked, let's call it like at least average, if not maybe even a little bit better than average for the past several games. I mean, I felt like, you know, the linebackers are, are stepping up. Yes, we've seen some really crappy tackling from Cole Holcomb and Jim and Davis at times, but they've, they've looked okay. The defensive line has been really impressive. I expect that they're going to feast against the Packers. Um, with Payne and Allen and, and Sweat, I think they're looking good. Uh, and the secondary, you know, they're still working through some of the bugs, but but Cam Curl, I think, is like the top-rated safety, you know, in the league per PFF. And uh, Ben St. Just has looked solid uh, on the outside at times. I mean, that, that play made at the end of the game certainly was an impressive one. Um, and there's been, there's been some um, holes in the secondary as well, but, but – I can't say that the defense, the defense isn't the reason that this team is as bad as it is. There's really just been the the complete um, falling down. And that's a polite way of putting it uh, on the offense. It's just been really miserable. And I'm hoping maybe Heineke could provide a bit of a spark there, but you're right. I mean, the playbook certainly uh, gets smaller with him in there uh, and defenses uh, can, you know, um, tighten down. But but I think maybe it leads this team to run a little bit more than it has been, which is probably oh a good thing. Oh my god, they need you know? to. Like they, they need really to, need yeah. to. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of like the last person to say that because I've always been really kind of uh, annoyed by the the you know the established the running game um, approach, you know the Bill Callahan days and those kinds of things. But but I think it needs to be an element of. Um, of this offense's game, especially when the quarterbacks have been so limited. And frankly, you know, Gibson, Gibson has looked very solid when he's been given the ball this year. He hasn't had any of the fumbling problems, knock on wood. Uh, Robinson, you know, he's obviously still knocking the rust off, but, but I think he's going to be um, pretty close to what we expected him to be. And um, I think, again, this offense should run more and um, you know, uh, I've been saying it for the past few weeks. Let's focus on getting first downs as opposed to touchdowns. And then I think things will take care of themselves. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a little naive. I don't know what your thoughts would be on that, Jamal. But I, I just, you know, if I see another third and five where they go for a 25-yard pass downfield that's got like almost no probability of completion, I'm just going to, you know, pull out what little bit of hair I have left. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to lose it too. Um, it's 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 kind of ridiculous how their their strategy is on third down, um, but I think what's going to change, I think it's going to be a give and take because, um, like one of the ways to beat Carson Wentz was like pressuring him, especially on third downs, pressuring him, sending like the demand pressures, uh, and knowing that he's really not going to use his legs to get out of the pocket, you know that's that's a detriment. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how teams prepare for Taylor Heineke on third downs. I don't. I'm not saying it's going to change drastically, but it'll be interesting because they're two different players. Taylor Heineke, he can look for that one little crease and he can take off. Like you couldn't do that with Carson Wentz. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of play that. In terms of the defense, um, I would say like for the last couple of weeks, I've been in and out in terms of being able to watch the defense, uh, specifically Titans, specifically Dallas. Um Simply because of work, it's it's hard. It was hard, but I had a good amount of time to look at Chicago, of uh, the Chicago game, and I think uh, the the film session ended up being more about the <laughs> uh, Justin Fields, like the missed opportunities that he had against this defense was incredible. Um, 
and like he missed a lot of throwing windows. He turned down a lot of throwing windows. Uh, he had some reads that he just didn't see. Um, and but overall, from a, a, a scheme standpoint, like the play action was very effective against the Commanders. Um, Cole Holcomb, Jamin Davis, you know they had their issues in in, in play action pass. Um, and then you have the defense. While I think the run game was actually okay. Look, when you you had seven carries for 75 yards for Khalil Herbert, his biggest one was like a 64 yarder. So you can do the math with that with the the rest of the six carries. Um, your your main back had 15 carries for 67 yards. Um, so from an overall standpoint, like outside of two missed tackles and over pursuing the ball carrier on that big run from Herbert, um, you're doing really good with the running backs on on designed run calls. Uh, the, obviously, Justin Fields is a different beast. He's an athlete of a quarterback. He, prevent, he presents uh, bigger issues, and obviously that's that's no excuse. But I'm saying from your designed run calls, they did pretty well against the run. Um, and they were in position too, but I just think when that passing game, man, there's still some structures that's missing. Um, it, when, I, when I mean that, when I mean structures, I'm saying like the communication standpoint, uh, there was an instance where like on the play action passes, you have proper communication, but people aren't seeing or having a good feel for like people receivers going into their zone void so they're late on picking up a crosser uh that's Derek Forrest coming from the single high where he's supposed to like in a rotation based type of play call in a cover three like based on the formation and alignment uh they have Kendall Fuller uh uh Derek Forrest and uh Bobby McCain I believe they're all like changing their assignments based on where the routes are going so from Derek Forrest he's a single high guy he's now rotating to the the flats on the field side so he's supposed to be there and he's late getting there and the guy who's running that crosser on the play action is is wide open for an easy gain of like 19 20 yards um and, and Justin Fields does hit him um but overall like I, I just think that and I can I can go on for days and I'm trying to limit that <laughs> but um like Kendall Fuller has had his issues the touchdown that he gave up in uh, when the defense had 12 men on, I mean, 12 men on the field. Period is a problem, but the the touchdown that he gave up, he was just simply smoked, Kyle. Like he stood no chance in a simple foot race, uh, and and the guy ate his cushion. Justin Fields saw that he had a step on him, threw a bomb, threw a perfect pass. All it, all this guy had to do is go get it. Kendall Fuller looked like he had uh, 10 pound weights on his ankles. Um, he was he was struggling. Um, so. There's uh, several instances, but that's that's the bad side. I think the good side is, too, because I, I realize I, I didn't say too much positives, but I just wanted to be clear that it wasn't pretty <laughs> against Chicago, but thank God they played a quarterback in Justin Fields. Uh, I think there were some individuals who made some really good plays. Rashad Wild Goose, uh, he's stepping up in, uh, in coverage and in the box as well, which I think is really good for uh, Washington because if you have a guy you can trust in a nickel um, with Benjamin Juice, Benjamin St. Juice on the outside, um, you can have that traditional nickel look at times, um, or you can do the big nickel, uh, basically a Buffalo nickel if you want to. But then you have Rashad Wild Goose being physical in the box and making plays at the line of scrimmage. That's very, that's very good, um, and that's a very good sign for Washington. Benjamin St. Juice on the outside, solid in coverage, um, and, and just frankly, um, <laughs> you're, you're not going to miss William Jackson with Benjamin St. Juice out there. But now you got to figure out what you're going to do with Kendall Fuller. 
because <laughs> he, he, he is having his issues, man, um, especially against certain certain athletic profiles. Uh, and then Bobby McCain, too, for all the flack that he gets, um, I think it's just interesting that, you know, some of the plays that he does make goes unnoticed because the ball isn't thrown his way. Like, Kyle, think about this. And, and you can be for or against Bobby McCain. That's not even what I'm trying to – I'm not even trying to convince you right now. My point is if the ball isn't thrown your way, um, you're not going to know. Nobody's going to know watching the game copy if you did your job or not. If you don't watch the All-22, you're not going to understand that there's a reason why they probably didn't throw Bobby McCain's way. I think his biggest issue is more so at the catch point when the ball is in the air. Like, that's that's his biggest problem. It's not the coverage part. It's about the fact that he has to make a play on the football. That's where his struggles come in. And obviously, that's that's coverage standpoint. Tackling is one thing. He hasn't always been a great tackler. But coverage standpoint, he's been a solid coverage guy. It's more so about what happens when the ball is in the air. Um, and that's where you have to be like, okay, can you can you become a better player, a more competitive player when the ball is in the air? That's where he struggles. Um, so yeah, there's there's a ton of things, man. And uh, yeah, I, I've been talking for a minute, but that's that's really that's really where I'm at with the defense after that Chicago game. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, again, the <laughs> the the three penalty or excuse me, the two penalties and then the ten men on the field. You know, that's. I don't, I'd like for you to explain to me how that happens, you know, to have like the two instances of get, getting caught with 12 men on the field and then one of not having enough men on the field. It's just like, that's so undisciplined. So, you know, Bush league, I mean, maybe one of those penalties happens in a game every once in a while, but to have that to happen three times, I just felt like what on earth is going on? And, you know, I mean, is that on the is that on the defensive coordinator? Is that on the players? Like, who who would you say? Um, I mean, to be honest with you, I wouldn't know. I did hear uh, Logan Paulson earlier today to give him credit because he helped me see it. No, it was Brian Mitchell. That's what it was. I knew, I knew what Logan Paulson. Brian Mitchell on the radio. Um, he's saying like part of the strategy in that, uh, and, and maybe this could be a preparation standpoint. Part of the strategy in that is that you know teams who really want to try to get you know players because i mean you can always see like on film like how how are players responding after a play like are they lollygagging are they on and on or off the field in a hurry like what what's really going on so they'll know that part and, and that'll go into their game plan but with that being said um you know teams who are trying to run and trying to get you in that 12-man situation uh will run a play towards their sideline and and what that will do is force uh, the defender to have a long jog or a long sprint to the opposite side, to their sideline, which creates conflict in terms of, like, trying to get the personnel together, trying to get uh, the right people in and out. Um, so ultimately, that's kind of how they how, how teams can play it is, is like, run a play towards their sideline, towards their own sideline, and then force the defenders to, to run the 30 yards off the field um, and get the substitutions in right. Um, and, and I'm not I don't know exactly how it happened against Washington, but I can imagine like based on that explanation, it's probably how Chicago tried to play it. So it's really about a preparation standpoint and, and having your players be disciplined. Yeah, yeah, definitely not a good sign of di- discipline, which is just, you know, again, um, seems to be a hallmark of a team that that where Rivera was, you know, uh, made, put discipline at the top of his at the top of his list. Just not a good not a good look. It is not, man. It is not. Uh, Kyle, as always, you know, I appreciate you hopping on on the Wednesdays. Shows, uh, anything and everything that you got going on, I want to give you the floor. 
uh, I don't think I've done that yet, and I, I should have been doing that. But um, let the people know where they can find you, and, and obviously we know your your work is on hog saving with uh, with with me as well, and obviously Damian who's in on the post game shows. But uh, anything else you want the people to know that you got going on the floor is yours. No, that's good. Yeah, you can find me at Hog Saving uh, in the comments section. You know, write put out a couple articles a week write the five questions articles with the uh, the opposing teams as well as other thoughts that come across my mind. Uh, also uh, on t- Twitter at Smith4, the number 4GM. Uh, if you want to get my my ran- random ramblings on uh, the football team and other kinds of things. So um, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you, Jamal. Always enjoy um, your insights and uh, looking forward to seeing Taylor Heineke give it his all this weekend. See how that, we'll see how that works out. Yeah, we're going to see real soon, man. We got six game sample size, just like just like we had with Wentz. So we're going to see real soon, big dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, man. You take care. Enjoy you your evening. Yes.